Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style and powerography would like to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners quartz and canary jewelry and wellness company use code empower 15 to receive 15 percent off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com quartz and canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style Hello, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Terry Silverman. She is the founder and owner of Creative Rights Workshops and Coaching, as well as a writer, performer, director, and story coach. Hello, Terry. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. Thank you, Brad. I'm so happy to be here. And how are you doing today? How are you feeling? So far, so good. Morning's um, off yeah. to a good start? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to be here with me today and, and share your story and your journey. I appreciate you taking the time and making the time to be here with me. And I'm looking forward to jumping in and learning and sharing more about who you are and what you do. Excellent. And I love when the um, Canadian accent comes out in certain words. <laughs> But I'm just, I'm so honored to be here and just so impressed with what you're doing. So it's really a privilege to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So as mentioned, Terry, you are the owner and founder of Creative Rights Workshops and Coaching. When did you found Creative Rights Workshops and Coaching? Well, the great thing about that is I actually didn't even know I was founding it. <laughs> okay. So, it, you know, it... Um, it happened out of complete adversity. I had carpal tunnel in both hands uh, mm -hmm. because I was an excellent barista mm -hmm. who was completely burned out, it was a repetitive motion injury. So I had no idea how I was going to support myself. Yeah. My hands didn't work. Scary, frightening. And the only thing I recognized was that my next job had to involve my brain, not my body. And my writing and performance teacher was leaving the place where I had been studying at beyond Baroque Literary Arts Center. And I thought, oh my gosh, that means the community isn't going to have that kind of workshop. And it had been a godsend to me. I had no idea if I could teach, if I would like to do it, but I saw the opening and I was absolutely desperate. So I and my teacher rallied the executive director to teach one workshop. And the very first day after the class had ended, I recognized that the sensation that I had in my body was the same feeling you have as when you're in love. And that's the moment that I knew this was it. I didn't know I was starting a business. I didn't yeah. know this was a career. I just told myself, I want more of this. That was October 9th. 1999 and I've been doing it ever since. That is so beautiful and so powerful. That feeling of finding your purpose and your mission on this planet is like no other. And I never would have done it mm -hmm. had it not been that I didn't know what else to do. Also, teaching was the only thing that my mother told me not to do because she was <laughs> a second grade teacher. Right. And I didn't realize until I had been teaching for six months to a year, mm -hmm. all I had been doing actually was preparing for the job because all I did was take workshops for the past you know, 10 or 15 years before that. Right. There's such a difference 
of when you were observing something versus when you were doing something. It was nothing of what I thought because I thought, oh, I'm too selfish to do that. What I'm going to watch them all get up and get attention. And I thought I won't be able to pay attention to what they're saying. And it was completely the opposite. And I felt so calm and grounded and centered. The focus was out and it's the joy of my life. And I love it as much today as I did 22 years ago. That is beautiful. And I mean, you were forced into it really because your hands, the injuries, carpal tunnel and all of that stuff, yep. it just the universe had other plans for you. No more, no more barista for Terry. <laughs> yes, correct. I love it. Can you tell us what Creative Rights is all about? Can you explain a little bit about it? Well, the name Creative uh-huh. Rights and it's R-I-T-E-S. The reason I named it that is because ritual rights, that is where storytelling comes from. And I'm all about the creative process that everybody is creative. And I want people to know that actually is their right to do that. I love helping people release the critic, release blocks, find out they have a voice, they have stories, and to have a place where you get support and nurturing and guidance to be seen and heard. Love that. I love the the name. It's beautiful. And that you're so passionate. I can feel the passion coming through as you speak about it. So that's, that's beautiful. And that is so powerful in itself as well. What inspired you to get into writing and performing, Terry? Well, for performing, that started when I saw Mary Poppins when I was mm-hmm. five. And I thought, all I really want is to be English, act and fly. <laughs> and that is actually still true. I love it. <laughs> And so, yeah, all through my childhood until uh, Venice High, where the thespians were fascist and cutthroat, mm-hmm. I became a drama dropout. I then had a life-threatening illness, and that brought me back to acting because I thought that's, you know, what I love the most. And in my acting, I was in a theater company. I then got into a comedy troupe, which was run by very intelligent fascist frat boys. And so I actually got kicked out of the comedy troupe, but they liked my writing. And so I thought I was never going to get on stage again. I was devastated. It really felt like life or death. And I thought if I don't do something creative, I'm not going to make it. And so I knew about a playwriting group. I didn't know if I could do it, but I thought I had to do something. And I then started writing and found out because of the man who changed my life, who became my mentor, that I could write, which I didn't know. And then all the actors wanted me to write for them. It changed my whole life. Writing became the center for my life. And then a friend took me to see Nancy Agavian, who ended up becoming my teacher and mentor. And she did a performance piece about her life. And I had the sensation that was akin to what I believe the teenagers must have felt when they saw Elvis. I thought, that's it. I want that. And that's when I started. I studied with Nancy and started writing about my life and performing it. And it was just exhilarating, combining getting to perform and getting to write. And there's nothing like being on stage talking about things that embarrass you that shame you and finding out everybody identifies it's thrilling liberating and exhilarating 
vulnerable too. Yes. Very vulnerable. Yes. <laughs> to yes. get up there and talk about your embarrassments and, and all the other things and shedding that and just letting it go and see where and it takes getting, you. Well, and getting laughs. <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly. The great, that's the great thing about embarrassment and shame is actually hilarious. Yeah, because everybody has those times in their lives. You're not the only one. And it exactly. kind of, it's like it gives everybody else permission to stand up yes. and say, hey, I'm with you. I've been so, there, yes. which is beautiful in itself too. Yes. Now, so, so, you know, angst is a great place for comedy. How long then would you say, if you look back, have you been writing? And then how long have you been performing now, would you say? I mean, I've been performing on and off most of my life. Mm-hmm. I started writing, oh, gosh, so wow. So I guess it's been about, I don't know, I can't do the math, 25 years 30 years, a long time. And the important thing to know is that, and really the miracle of my life is that whenever I had to write in school, I would get shut down. I would get paralyzed. I would, whenever I had to do a report, I would eat so many donuts. I thought I would die. And then I was so nauseous that I couldn't do anything. So I never expected to be a writer, but I revered writers and writing. I thought they were the philosopher Kings. I would hate myself of not being able to get what was in my head onto paper. Every Friday, 10th grade, Mrs. Marvin's English class, we would have to do a five paragraph essay. So I would sit there and on my paper would just be all the ideas I crossed out. That was it. And she let me fall through the cracks. And it wasn't until I met Dennis Klant, this playwriting teacher, who really was my Annie Sullivan at the water pump, taught me how to trust my instincts and got what was in my head onto paper. So literally he was my Annie Sullivan at the water pump of getting to access it. So it's just a miracle that I now look at the center of my life as a writer and writing. And that's also so my mission with creative rights, that anybody that thinks they aren't creative, that they can't write, I am absolute living proof. So I ended up getting an MFA in a graduate writing program, straight A's. Beautiful. Do you have a preference then, if you had to choose, or if you could choose writing or performing, is there a preference for you or just love them both equally so much? They're different muscles, although the combination is so exciting. I think that's a hard question (laughs) to answer because also so much of my writing is connected to storytelling and being witnessed. Although I do like writing, I am a poet, you know, I'm certainly about craft and really shaping things. Right. But I think the fullest expression of me is to write and perform it. Now, what was the progression then from performer into director? Was that just a natural one? And how did that progression occur for you? Well, as a performer, as a solo performer, I had a few really wonderful directors. And then when I started teaching writing and performance, it really happened organically. I didn't realize that I had picked up a lot of things absorbed from the directors that I had worked with. And it really just came out of a request. One of my students was working on a one-man show and he said, would you like to direct it? So what did I say? Of course I said, yes, I've never done it. And then again, (laughs) I found out I loved it. Yeah. And it actually was a benefit of being a writer and a performer so that I had those different hats and also knowing all the fears that come up 
when you are the performer. And one of the things that I most love about directing is that I am so clear in making decisions and being able to see out in my own life. I'm, you know, go through a million different ways and so indecisive, but when I'm directing, everything is so clear and it is also fun and joyful to get to direct. And I know when I was at that place with my own work, having my script ready to be directed, that was the funnest part of it. So it's this joyful collaboration and also having the big picture and seeing what's possible and then inviting the writer performer to trust the impulses you see they're going towards. So it's really organic for me. What excites or inspires you the most about performing? Finding out that people can connect with what you feel embarrassed and ashamed about and releasing the shame. And also something happens when I'm in front of an audience that can't happen anyplace else. So I will get instincts and impulses to play, to be wild, to get to do things I never really would normally ever get to do in my life. So because I'm an only child, I'm always about connection. So very frequently, and I love interacting with the audience, I will just jump in an audience member's laugh. Thrilling. And I would normally, of course, never do that in real life, but it gives me permission to connect in a way that I wouldn't get to in a a playful, silly way. I also get to show the sadness, the angst, the despair, the heaviness, and uh, juxtapose it with comedy. So all the things that I may want to hide in life, in performance, it's okay to show that. Very, very cool. That's, yeah, you, I mean, you, you, it's almost like you become someone else, right? Well, I be, no, I become a heightened version of myself mm-hmm. and really myself as a confident child. That's who I am. the fear. Yeah. A, a, you know, confident child that has a great vocabulary (laughs) and can do, you know, I love doing physical comedy, getting to play and be silly and connect. That's beautiful. You know, it's funny because you think about that and as adults, I think that we get caught up in all the stuff of being an adult and we forget what it's like to be a kid and that it's okay to go back and be a kid. It's okay to behave like a kid every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to do that to connect. Well, I think it's life affirming. And that's also one of the tenets that I have with my coaching and workshops. How can we get back to that sense of play that we so intrinsically know how to do as children and then when we start wanting to be good and then you know the critic and the perfectionist over and then we lose that because play is essential for creativity i think play is essential for life do we have to make the time for play yeah life it's too serious people are too damn serious yep yes do you remember what your very first paying gig was as a performer i think it was, there was some special with all these magicians and there's a place in Los Angeles that's pretty famous called the Magic Castle. Okay. It's actually very scary. <laughs> and we were there in the middle of the night. Um, you know, we'd have to get there in the middle of the night and get on our costumes and they have all these weird rooms, but, it, but it's, you know, one of the key places for magicians. So I think that was my first, was that my first SAG job? 
And yeah, getting up in the middle of the night, having to wear some Victorian outfit. <laughs> and then I think the, I think my shot on TV was really just my chest. And it's not like I'm even big, but I think like my chest was in, you know, the framing of one of the magic acts. So, yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. <laughs> so Terry, being a story coach, how did things transpire for you into becoming a story coach? And can you explain for those that might not know what a story coach is and what a story coach does? So what I do and what I see my job as is to help you say the story you need and want to tell. And that may be different than originally what you think it is. So I am there to encourage, support, guide, and champion, and to help you dig and investigate because we all have stories that we tell ourselves and others and those are actually myths and I help you then investigate what really happened versus the myth that you've always told yourself also to give people permission to talk about things that maybe they don't think they can or should talk about. Sandra Cisneros always says, we must write what we can only whisper. And when people are nurtured and feel safe, it gives them permission to look at the things that perhaps they look away from or the things that they've always wanted to say and they didn't think anybody cared or that anybody would listen. So I focus as much on the craft of writing, of dramatic structure, you know, there are basic tenets on how to tell a story as well as the creative process of helping people release the critic, the self-doubts, the blocks. And I believe that we tell stories because we need to understand something. We're grappling with something and that ends up becoming the fuel to keep going to investigate and keep writing and telling the story. So was that just a natural progression for you then as a writer, just to move into coaching to help people tell their stories? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I originally, you know, was facilitating workshops and then people started asking and I saw, you know, some people really thrive on one-to-one and then just to get really laser focused and also just having the luxury of a block of time to really help with where they are with their process. Some people really thrive in groups. Some people like to work one-on-one. And then of course, you know, getting an MFA, I learned a lot more about structure and editing. And then just in the doing, you know, I understand how people work, where the blocks are and how to help people be empowered by telling their stories and seeing them absolutely transform and shine when they know they're being heard and understood. I mean, that's, that's all we all really want is to be heard and understood. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't know where to start thinking that they have to do it right. So I really help with all the mishigosh that goes on. Yeah. This is actually, okay. So right now, this moment, this is the first time I've actually used any Yiddish to ever describe (laughs) what I do or writing or process. So I'm sure my grandparents are happy. Yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) You say that through stories, we gain a better understanding of ourselves, others, and that it's the most profound way to effectively connect, learn, inspire, and make an impact. Why is storytelling such an integral part of who you are? And why is it so important to you to share this with the world? 
So storytelling for me, I guess, really makes me appreciate myself. I think it's a way to honor yourself, your struggles, all the things that you think are awful about yourself, to find out that you don't have to be ashamed. It's also a way to process, to understand. And the reason that I think and actually know that storytelling is effective is because it goes into our hearts. If we hear data, that's intellectual. It doesn't do anything to us. Stories impact our emotions. They teach us. We learn. Once we hear somebody's story, they will never be a stranger to us. It affects our worldview. And ultimately, it's the best way for us to connect with each other and really profoundly understand each other. Now, storytelling is probably one of if not one of the oldest form of communication and dates back thousands of years, whether it be in the form of drawings, oral form, written word, painting, drawings, I mean, even up to camera and up through the ages. I've heard people talk about how the art of storytelling is a dying art form. First of all, would you agree with that statement? Also, in your opinion, would you say that we as a society, as people have kind of lost sight of or lost the art of storytelling? And are they correct in saying that? Absolutely not. And okay. no, two question <laughs> one and two. Absolutely not. Absolutely okay. the complete opposite. Everywhere we look, there are stories, TV, radio, movies, books. We need and want stories. And any major city has storytelling shows almost every night. Storytelling also has gone online. There are storytelling festivals. What's the very first thing that we do with a baby? We tell them Found stories. Them stories. Yeah. So it is so a part of our culture and absolute DNA. And we've gotten better. We appreciate it more. And we have become so well-versed in storytelling because it's the way we're raised. You know, what's the difference between a good movie and a bad movie? A story. In your opinion, how much do you think technology changed the world of storytelling? And do you think it's changed for the better? And if so, why? Um, I'm certainly not a tech geek. I recognize the advantage of technology is to connect us. That now anywhere in the world, and I've done my gorgeous stories, storytelling show uh, since I started teaching. And that from the pandemic, I switched over to do everything online. So that means now anybody all over the world can watch my gorgeous story show, which I am just so humbled and grateful for. I did not even know the word Zoom other than, <laughs> and this will only people of a certain age will know, Zoom was a TV show in America in the 70s. That was it. That was my reference point. So the ability for us to all have access to each other. And yeah, and then streaming. So yeah. we just can get to see everything, you know, certainly, you know, all the data and studies about we're on our devices much too much. We're not connecting with each other, you know, that that's a separate issue. So, sure. I mean, I think that, you know, that's the downside of, and certainly, you know, the last few generations growing up, you know, in my day, we went outside. Yes. We played. Yes. We played. And then, you know, and then you come back in. Yeah. It's funny because I think about that and think about the kids today. And when I was a kid, it was a hassle for our parents to get us to come back in the house. Now right. it's the exact opposite. It's a pain yeah. in the ass yeah. to get the kids to go outside. Yeah. So, you know, that addiction and how, you know, and now we're finding out um, 
that it's all by design that they did do want us to be addicted and, and yeah. keep going with that. So I think that's it. But I, I would separate that from technology and storytelling. I mean, yeah. I think that's really just about, you know, the addiction to all the technology in yeah. general, yeah. but it does give us access. For sure. You always hear people say, I don't have a story worth telling. Who's going to want to listen to my story? What do I have to share or offer the world in my story? With you being a story coach, what do you say to people who express that self-limiting belief? How do you deal with that? So first, I tell them that a lot of people feel like that, that that's normal and natural. The most important thing always is to never shame. When people are feeling insecure, that's human. We all have self-doubts. Depending on the situation, you know, I'll share my insecurities that I've had, you know, around writing. And then to give them a safe, nurturing place to just dip their toe in, just give it a go. So I do um, spontaneous writing exercises, and that's to both spark ideas and also get to just practice trusting your impulses. And it's a short amount of time. So you also don't even have time to think, oh, I hate this. I don't want to do this. And then what comes out is amazing. And so then they start having the experience of, oh my gosh, people reacted to that, that moved people or that gave other people permission. So they start having a positive experience around it. And also that they find out everybody else feels like that too. And they hear, oh my gosh, tell me more about that. So yeah. then they start getting excited about it. So it's really just taking them where they are and giving them enough support and encouragement to try. And that's all we have to do to just try. And in my own experience, because I did not think I could write, there was a day when I was in a theater company and my soon to be playwriting teacher, he gave an exercise to all the playwrights. You know, it was some exercise to write a scene. And so secretly I tried it, you know, and I was, I, you know, at that time I was, I was dating somebody who, you know, was in the playwriting group right. and everybody around me was writing. So I thought, I'm just going to try it. So I tried it, you know, and I, I wrote something and then I didn't know how to end it. And literally I was taking the paper and I was about to ball it up and put it in the trash. And the playwriting teacher saw that and he said, Carrie, what did you write? And just my heart is pounding. The whole theater company is in the room listening. And he gently but forcefully had me unfold the paper I was ready to throw out. And he had me read what I wrote. And he said, oh, look at that. Isn't that interesting? And look at that. And so he started pulling things out of the scene that I didn't see that he found valuable. That was the moment really that changed my life in terms of learning all you have to do is try and it doesn't have to be perfect. And then for whatever reason, he completely took me under his wing and mentored me. That, is beautiful. That, that was the defining moment. And I was so scared because, you know, all the people that I respected, all the people who were real writers yeah. and that changed everything. And then I found out, oh my God, what the secret is actually is just writing as fast as you can and not even thinking or worrying. And that's really accessing the subconscious, which is what I do with my clients and uh, students, finding all these different ways because our subconscious is where the creative gold is. It's a beautiful story. I love that. Amazing. Just wow. That is so powerful. The fact that he 
took the time and saw what you were doing and pulled out the pieces that you were too scared to share or didn't feel good enough to share. Yeah. He pushed me because if if left to my own device, I literally, I would have thrown it in the trash. That would have been that. And so it's also knowing that balance of how can we, with nurturance, push the writer forward, push the person a little farther than they think they can go so that then they have the discovery and the epiphany that they can actually do it. What is your favorite, most inspiring part about being a story coach? Seeing that I'm helping, seeing that people have a positive experience of themselves, that they matter. And that's what so motivates me. I so want people to know that they matter and that I can see them shining. I can see the transformation, the confidence, um, the discovery, and the letting go of wanting to hide. Be able to witness transformation is such a beautiful thing. It truly is. Terry, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? My capacity to listen deeply and to be a champion. I so care. And also I'm so interested and curious. I actually remember that in college and I was taking radio classes, I thought maybe, you know, I'd be a broadcast journalist. And so what I started doing was people that I wanted to meet, people that were famous, um, people that impressed me, I'd asked to interview them. And because I was taking um, some classes at Santa Monica College, some radio classes, and this is for people in LA or maybe the country know KCRW now is a you know major NPR station, but then it was just beginning. But I had a little ID badge that said KCRW and nobody you know, barely anybody knew what KCRW was then, but I would use that. <laughs> so I actually did get to interview people because of that. I mean, the interviews never went on the radio, but they didn't know that. So I love finding out people's stories. And I've enjoyed that ever since I was little. My favorite thing with friends is tell me about your childhood. I always mm-hmm. want to know. Beautiful. A genuine interest. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you, Terry? I think knowing that you're making an impact and that you're helping and that it's joyful because when I'm doing my work, it is so soul enriching. And that's really my proof that this is so the right thing. And then it brings me so much gratitude that I can't believe this is what I get to do because I know what it's like to be a crappy legal secretary. What was a turning point in your life and how did that affect you? A turning point? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, you know, the two big turning points are the two stories that I've mentioned here of one being forced to read what I wrote, which led me to become a writer and then having carpal tunnel and not knowing what to do with my life or how to support myself and that pushing me into teaching. Because those two things are really make up who I am and everything that I do now. And yeah, inform everything. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and this was really by observation of watching my mom every Sunday night 
have this pall come over the apartment. And, you know, I certainly didn't even know the word depression when I was growing up, but she was so dreading the next day, that Monday, because she loved teaching and got so burned out. So I learned from watching that, you know, week to week to week to week for years, you have to work your whole life. You better do something you love so that, you know, how important that is. You know, she ended up getting out of teaching and becoming Mm -hmm. a school psychologist, but that really made an impression on me. And that I was certainly was always raised to know you have to be self-sufficient and you have to support yourself. We all get caught up in that hamster wheel of just doing the thing just because like, I mean, for me, I got stuck in corporate for 12 and a half years and I was miserable for the last, Mm -hmm. I would say six or seven years of it, but we all get caught up in that. And then fear sets in and the self-limiting beliefs and all of the things that prevent you from straying away from that and finding your purpose and your passion and your mission in life. And then you get the people who won't even bother trying because they get so comfortable that they get stuck well, and in also that. change is terrifying. Yes, you absolutely. Know, it's, it's the unknown. And that's also creativity is the unknown. Yeah. And that's also why people get scared. We so want to be good. We so want to be in control. And so that's the other thing that I really focus on is accepting and allowing creativity is about the unknown and we yeah. have to just trust it. Absolutely. Trust and allow. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? All you have to do is try because that means that you don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to be perfect. And then you can allow yourself to take chances and to leap. And then your life changes, but you can't figure everything out in your head. And I'm, you know, so logical. I'm so analytical. So, you know, there's intelligence there and then also it can really stop you up because you get so analytical that then you get frozen. For sure. What would you say is one of your biggest life lessons or teachable moments and what did you learn from it? I'm trying to think of other things because the stories that I've said seem to be connected to that. So what's a big life lesson? I don't like to use the word failure. Um, So life lesson, teachable moment. That's one thing that I learned from an experience was that um, you can't force people to do things if they don't want to be there. And that creativity has to be an invitation. So I was hired at this very fancy drug rehab place. And it's the, it was a live in place. Okay. And It's in Malibu, beautiful, overlooking the bluffs. You know, when I went to visit salmon, you know, (laughs) luxury coffees, you know, you know, so it's like this luxury hotel, there's tennis courts, you know, there's serenity, free journals. So I thought this is going to be so exciting. So (laughs) I just pictured I'm going to be helping celebrities, you know, as they, you know, recover from addiction. I thought this is going to be so (laughs) glamorous and exciting. Oh my gosh. And I'm going to get to help them. Wow. I've arrived and I get free salmon. Okay. (laughs) And so what I didn't know was that So, you know, I I would come once a week to do, you know, creative expression, storytelling, but it was not an elective. They had to attend. And also this was after a whole day of them being in groups and therapy and other classes. 
So they didn't want to be there. Right. They were resentful. They were obstinate. They were trying to control, which I also found out that, you know, that, that is very typical, you know, when somebody is in recovery of, you know, that battle of wills. So it was a disaster because they didn't want to be there and you yeah. can't do creativity with people that don't want to do it. And it was the only time in my life. And, you know, I, I can keep up a strong, brave face, no matter what's going on internally, I can be calm, I can keep going, but it did not work. And it was the only time that sometimes during class, as, as much as I was trying to maintain my professional composure, I could feel tears coming out of my eyes. So you can't force people. Yeah. For sure. And just it was set up to not work. Yeah. It should have been elective and they should have, you know, if people wanted to do it, right. but they were forced to do it. And also, yeah, so it didn't work out. So people have to want to be there. For sure. Who in your life, Terry, has had the biggest impact on you and why? Definitely my playwriting teacher, Dennis Klontz. And he gave me more than I thought any human being could give somebody and I didn't ask and he wanted to do it. And he was so generous and also brilliant, brilliant writer, brilliant playwright. And to have somebody care and want to help you. And he would listen to me for hours when I started writing um, uh, plays and one person shows, bless his heart. We'd go to this Mexican restaurant and then literally he would listen to me for two or three hours of me reading and reading and reading. And he never got impatient. He always made me feel like a million bucks. He would give me his feedback. So generous and so smart. And he knew how to champion me and really make me feel like I could do this and taught me everything I know about the creative process. And I always want my students and clients to know who he is. The very first day that I was teaching that I didn't know, you know, if I could do it, as soon as I opened my mouth, I could hear his voice in my head. (laughs) I didn't know it. I had absorbed that. And I was even copying his tone of voice, his intonations and his rhythms, because he talks slow and gentle. And I realized that's really effective. And then things I didn't know that I had learned and picked up from him, I started saying in that very first class, I studied with him for five or six years. Neither of us knew at the time that I was going to pass it on because he passed away. What a beautiful gift he gave you. Yeah. So I'm really, you know, carrying the torch told me he got it from his professor at UC Santa Cruz. So who knows how far back, how far back it goes. And now you're carrying it on. Yeah, that I have to pass it on. And some of my students have started teaching, but that's what I want to give my students is what he gave me. That is power. That is beautiful. Speaking of power, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Acknowledging and celebrating who you are. Beautifully said. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three, forward answer type thing. Okay. Okay. And then do I win something if I, <laughs> if I say it really fast? Or? You are the second person that has said that. Okay. So then you so, got you to you think of what prizes I gotta, I do, or, I are you going to come up with, Brad? You I know, don't something know. very Canadian. <laughs> Maple syrup. 
Okay. <laughs> I have to think of something. That's funny. You're the second person said, you should really be giving out prizes for this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm Steve Harvey on Family Feud, yeah. the, the last part of the show. <laughs> Terry, what was your dream job as a child? Because she inspired me so much to be Julie Andrews, you know, okay. to be Mary Poppins, to be Maria Von Trapp. That was it to me yeah. and for me. And I mean, it was really to meet her, but yeah. she was my childhood idol. I was the only one in my bluebird troop that could do an English accent. Um, <laughs> I'd listen to the records all the time. And then, you know, cut to years later, because one of my students was on Broadway in Victor Victoria and Blake Edwards, Julie Andrews' husband was developing a musical. And so my student was the, she was doing something in the play rehearsal. I think she was, I don't know, reading the stage direction, something. And so I don't know how she did it, but she got me in there. So it's Julie Andrews, Blake Edwards, all the actors, the, you know, lyricist, the composer, and me. And so I got to be in a small room with my idol. And, you know, I decided not to bring my Mary Poppins pinafore from when <laughs> I was five, you know, for her to sign. And I just kept thinking, pretend like, you know, and I, I am, I actually am a dramaturg. So I thought just, I am professional. I am here. I am watching. And there, and what Julie does is she comes up to every single person. She didn't know who I was, yeah. but she welcomed me. That is huge. Oh, I am so glad to have you here. She knew who I was. Yeah. And it was an astonishing experience. And then there was a moment, oh, and she drinks decaf PG tips. So she had brought her own tea bags and then she offered me one. And so we, you know, sat right next to each other, sipping our tea. And then I had this major epiphany and, you know, trying not to stare, trying to be normal, you know, but I remembered the real key moment for me, you know, while they're doing this play reading musical, as I'm uh, sitting feet away from Julie Andrews is that there's a scene in Mary Poppins where there's a chalk drawing and they all hold hands and they jump into the chalk drawing. They jump into the story. And I thought, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Jump into the story and get lost in the story. Because at that time, you know, my parents had divorced. I was sad. I was missing my father. And so I realized I wanted to escape by jumping into the story. And I thought, boy, that has really formed all of who I am of so wanting to jump into that story and then be there and then have fun and get lost and be swept up in your imagination yeah. and going to a different place. Wow. I did not tell Julie that I had that epiphany. <laughs> what an incredible moment though, to get to meet your idol. Yeah. Yeah. And that it came about because of my teaching. Yeah student knew how much it would mean to me and she got me in. Phenomenal. What is one of your favorite words? Well, the word that just came to me now is invincible. Would you rather have more time or more money? Well, Brad, <laughs> you know, the obvious answer to me seems money because money, I believe, can buy you time. It gives you choice. Yeah. It gives you freedom. So now nope. did I win something? <laughs> We aren't done yet. How would you describe yourself in one word? Well, the first word, the word that I usually use is quirky, but the word that I would like to use is grateful. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? To know that you matter. What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? Being able to do a pirouette without getting dizzy. <laughs>
Okay. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Knowing that animals are sentient beings and that we have to respect and protect them. Includes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. There should be a bell or something. Yeah, I I think I'll try and incorporate a bell in there for the next one. What is one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you started your entrepreneurial journey? I think it would have been really helpful to have a mentor because I did everything alone and by myself and, you know, slow caveman progression. And also I didn't even recognize that I was an entrepreneur. I just thought, oh, I'm teaching a workshop. Oh, I want to teach two workshops. Yeah. And, you know, business coaches, masterminding, didn't know about it, didn't even occur to me. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I guess getting carpal tunnel as awful and as scary as it was. And really it was just terrifying to not have a body part work and to be in pain, but that really pushed me to do something that I would never normally have done. And now look at you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, who knows, you know, destiny, predestination, whether I would or wouldn't, you know, it's unanswerable. I mean, and Fuchsia probably knows about whether I would or wouldn't, but I know that that was the defining incident that made me take that leap. Yeah. For sure. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I think it would be a tie between Jane Goodall and Dame Judi Dench, both of who they are, what they've done with their lives, what they've seen, what they've understood, and their absolute virtuosity in really making a difference. So I guess if I really had to choose, because I guess I'd have to choose. Yes. So sorry, Dame Judy. I guess I'd have to choose Jane Goodall. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what do you do to keep yourself inspired every day and to inspire others? Communing with nature is essential to me. And also taking long walks and running. It clears my head. It gets me reconnected to myself because of the pandemic. I have so much more time because I don't have to drive to work because I do everything online. So I, I have the luxury of getting to go to the shore every day and seeing the ocean and the metaphors of the ocean and the waves and the vastness really center me and give me perspective and seeing the sea life and seeing the babies playing in the sand and watching people build sand castles and, you know, dogs romping in the ocean. It's so life affirming and rejuvenating. And so that is my way of replenishment and also my love of animals so as often as, and I have a dog, but as often as I can, I go to a place called the Gentle Barn, okay. which is rescued farm animals. And to hug a cow is transcendent and it just fixes everything. So I get to be with cows and pigs and goats, emu, donkeys, chicken, turkey, pigs. <laughs> and it's just, that's my favorite place in the world. Beautiful. What is your why? In terms of my work? In terms of everything overall, just in general, your why? 
<laughs> and I want to say, but why? Because I ask <laughs> questions all the time. I'm always trying to understand things. I think my greatest need is connection. And so that also, I think, is my why, because writing, performing, facilitating, coaching all brings deep connection and it gives me joy. And it has everything to do with being an only child. Right. And when I was growing up, my favorite thing was to have my friends tell me a secret because that made me feel like they trusted me. I was being invited in. And really now that's what I do for a living. Can you tell me about a moment when a person's kindness made a difference in your life? Dennis Klontz, yeah. my playwriting teacher who completely changed my life. And he was so kind and generous. If you could go back, Terry, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? The two things come to mind. So I don't know if that's allowed because you said one, you know, when I want to I'll give you two. Okay. Give you two. Um, There's your that, prize for the okay, for the rapid right. fire. <laughs> that it's gonna work out and you are so much more wonderful than you realize. Beautiful. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, like your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words would you say? What words of wisdom would you impart? Congratulations. You've made it. You're still here. You matter. We need your voice. And it is our job to herald the unchampioned, the people that work so hard and they don't get awards and they don't get thanked. They don't have the red carpets to thank them, to say that you appreciate them and to listen to them. Hallelujah. Beautifully said. Harry, thank you so much for making the time and taking the time to be here with me today and share a bit about your story and your journey. It was such a beautifully inspirational conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. You are a bright, beautiful light. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light onto the world and doing the amazingly beautiful work you do with helping people get their stories out into the world. It is so needed. So thank you for doing that work. And I am excited and honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Terry, thank you so very much. I appreciate you. Well, Brad, thank you. I feel so lucky to know you to find out what you're doing. I really feel honored to be in this circle. I appreciate all your thoughtful questions and hooray for what you're doing. So I feel very blessed to be here. Thank, Thank you. you, Brad. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Terry Silverman. She is the owner and founder of Creative Rights Workshops and Coaching. She's also a writer, performer, director and story coach. Thank you so much, Terry. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. And then should I stay on the line so you can get my address to send them the maple syrup? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.